Welcome to Reading Through the Bible, day number 19. And today in our journey through the one-year Bible plan, we will begin in Genesis chapter 39 and read through chapter 41, verse 16. And as a point of context, you'll remember that yesterday uh, in our story, as we uh, are reading through Genesis, we read about Joseph, who was um, having some dreams that all of his siblings and family were going to be bowing down to him. His brothers didn't like the idea of bowing down to their little brother. They thought he was kind of uh, annoying, uh, and he was dad's favorite. So they were planning on killing him when the opportunity arose. The opportunity arose, uh, and instead of killing him, they had mercy, and instead sold him into slavery. Yeah, I know. Great brothers, right? And so we're picking up our story today, uh, and Joseph is going to continue his journey as a slave in Egypt, and we will see how God plays a part in Joseph's story. Chapter 39, verse 1. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord is with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Now, that's going to be a huge theme that we see. Verse 2. Look at that again. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did. Uh, I don't know about you, but I want God to be on my team. Because I feel like we always win when God's on my team. And I believe it just shows you God's sovereignty today. Uh, think of it this way. You are literally immortal. You cannot die. You can do anything and you will not die until God says it's your time. But when God says it's your time, you have no chance of living. You just don't. When God is with you, you succeed. When God is not with you, you don't succeed. So maybe for some of you today, that is uh, why you're listening to the one-year Bible. There are areas in your life where it's hard and it's difficult and there is no progress and it's not because of lack of effort. Maybe it's because you're not doing what God has called you to do. I don't know. It's something to explore for sure. Verse 3. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't have to worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Verse 8. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. And I find that really interesting there at verse 9. You notice Joseph says it would be a great sin against who? Against God. Now we would think a great sin against Potiphar. Right? You sleep with Potiphar's wife, you're sinning against Potiphar. And while that is true, Joseph takes it one level deeper. The sin is actually against God. See, and the same is true for us. Anytime we sin, every time we miss the mark of what God would have for us, we do something that God would say not to do, which is making ourselves God. Right? God reserves the right to decide what is good and evil. When I sin, I am practically saying I am God and I know what is good. Uh, God thinks this is evil, but I'm going to do it because I think it is good. God says it will lead to death, but I think it will enrich my life. That, that is when we are sinning. And our sin always hurts other people, or it hurts ourselves. 
But ultimately the sin, the gossip you're doing, the lusting you're doing, the whatever you're doing, isn't primarily a sin against that person. It's primarily a sin against God himself. That should be humbling and sobering to us, friends. Verse 10. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. Verse 13. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you've brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. So let's pause here. You see what happens here is Potiphar's wife is trying to frame Joseph. Joseph, being a man of integrity, says, I'm not going to sleep with you. Uh, your husband is my boss, and it's wrong. It'd be a sin against God for me to do that. And she says, okay, well, if you're going to do that, then I'm going to frame you and tell people you raped me. And that's exactly what happens here. Verse 19. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison wardener. Let's pause here, because this is just fascinating, and it's a theme that we will begin to see throughout Joseph's story. It says the Lord was with Joseph and showed him his faithful love, to which you might be hearing the story or reading the story and thinking, no, he didn't. Like, if God was there for him... This would have never happened. Joseph was framed. He was in prison for something he didn't do. But what we begin to see is a theme here that God doesn't promise your life will be free from bad circumstances. In fact, what you might find out is as you begin to follow the Lord, more circumstances that are bad might come up because you are following God. But the point isn't that God makes your life easy. The point is that God is with you. And it's better to be in a scary place with God than a safe place without him. And if you are a believer, if you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a Christian, a Christ follower, then you can trust in the promise of Romans 8 that says all things are working out for the good of the believer. Now you may not know how or why, and honestly, you may not even know how or why in this lifetime, but you can trust, you can trust that he's working it out for your good. And you say, Blake, how can you trust that? Well, you can trust that because of the gospel. See, ultimately, we can trust this promise because we know what God has already done on our behalf. He has taken on flesh, He has lived a righteous life. He died a death we deserve to die, giving us his righteousness so that we might rise again as he did one day, living in a kingdom one day. Our hope is is that we will live in a kingdom uh, without the presence of sin and death. See, God's already done that for you. So everything else that's going on, if God would care for that, if God would do that, if you'd go to those links, then of course he would take care of all the other things in your life. Everything else, although I'm not saying it is small, It is small in comparison to what God has already done. So that's why we can trust that promise. And we're going to see this theme continue along as we read through the story in Genesis. Verse 22. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. 
the Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Chapter 40 Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his first dream. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom. Soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cup bearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when these things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh, so he might let me out of his place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told him. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impel your body on a pole. Then birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Wow, so not near as good of an interpretation for that guy. <laughs> First guy, Joseph says, yeah, you're going to get a promotion. The next guy, he says, yeah, um, your body's going to be lifted up on a pole and the birds are going to eat your flesh. you got to love Joseph's honesty. Verse 20. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position, so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Man, this guy's story just gets worse and worse. You see, Joseph was correct on his interpretations. Uh, the guy who, who he said would die, dies. And the guy who he said would get a promotion, gets a promotion. Um, but the guy who got the promotion just forgot about Joseph. He was caught up in his own successes and um, never mentioned to uh, Potiphar or the Pharaoh uh, what had happened. And so Pharaoh obviously doesn't know about Joseph, and Joseph is still in prison. And even though he was right, even though he did what was right, he is still wrongfully held captive in the prison. Sad story so far. Chapter 41. Two full years later, let that sink in. Two more years that he's not even supposed to be in jail at all, and he's still there. Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up behind them from the Nile, but these were scrawny and thin. Those cows stood beside the fat cows on the riverbank. 
Then the scrawny thin cows ate the seven healthy fat cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up, but he fell asleep again and had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. Then seven more heads of grain appeared. But these were shriveled and withered by the east wind, and these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. Then Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. The next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams, so he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. When Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today I have been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. Some time ago, you were angry with the chief baker and me, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. One night, the chief baker and I each had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. There was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison, who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant, and everything happened just as he had predicted. I was restored to my position as cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means, but I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, and look at this, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. And that concludes our Old Testament reading for the day, but it leaves us on this note of Joseph getting another chance, and Joseph is not angry with God, he continues to trust in God. He says, I can't do this but God through me can do this, which is amazing encouragement for you today. Whatever ministry God has called you to, whatever sphere of influence you have, you are called to proclaim and demonstrate the good news. And you may say, like, I don't have the power to do this. And I would say you are correct. It is beyond your power to do the work of God, but God can work through you. So moving on to our New Testament reading of the day which is Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, through chapter 13, verse 23. Starting in Matthew 12, verse 46. As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside, asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside, and they want to speak to you. Jesus asked, who is my mother, and who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. One of these hard statements of Jesus, as we get further and further into the gospel, um, you begin to see why people turned against Jesus. Uh, He drew big crowds for his miracles and all of the wonderful things he said. Um, But you have to understand that there is this huge side of self-denial to following Christ. And there will be times in which your family goes against you, as Jesus' own physical blood family goes against him. And in those moments, you have to realize you've been born again. You've been born into a new family. For a lot of us, our closest family will not be our blood relatives, but will actually be our brothers and sisters in Christ. Chapter 13, verse 1. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen. A farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. 
but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples came and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. And they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing in God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. That concludes our New Testament reading for the day. Moving on to our proverb of the day, we will be in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 33 through 35. The Lord curses the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the upright. The Lord mocks the mockers, but is gracious to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but fools are put to shame. And finally, we will be praying through the 17th Psalm, a prayer of David. Oh, hear my plea for justice. Listen to my cry for help. Pay attention to my prayer, for it comes from honest lips. Declare me innocent, for you see those who do right. Yes, Lord, we, we pray for your help. We pray for your help in many areas of life, whether it be health or relational or, or many other areas in which it could play out. But Lord, ultimately, we pray for innocence. We pray that you would count us as righteous in your eyes. And we know that there's nothing we can do to be counted right. Uh, you say that one of the commands is to love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, and soul. Well, I would doubt that any of us have been able to accomplish that. So even there, and, and along with greater sins, Lord, we do not deserve to stand in your presence. We do not deserve to have our prayers heard by you. But it, we know it is through faith in Jesus who does deserve it, who died to stand as an advocate on our behalf, who through his blood we have this access, we may be called innocent. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our cries for help because of what he has done on our behalf. Verse 3. You have tested my thoughts and examined my heart in the night. You have scrutinized me and found nothing wrong. 
I am determined not to sin in what I say. I have followed your commands, which keep me from following cruel and evil people. My steps have stayed on your path. I have not wavered from following you. Lord, I, I don't know if this is true about David. I would assume it's not. And in fact, I know many areas in the Old Testament where David does not follow your path perfectly. Lord, I know that ultimately these uh, verses are only made true by the true David, whose name is Jesus, who came and never really wavered from your path. Lord, thank you that because of his sacrifice, because of his cross, his life gets to be counted for my life. And on the day of judgment, you will not look at my reputation and my resume, but you will look at the reputation and resume of Jesus, who gives me, who imputes that righteousness to me because of what he did on the cross and his resurrection thereafter. Verse 6. I am praying to you because I know you will answer, O God. Bend down and listen as I pray. Show me your unfailing love in wonderful ways. By your mighty power, you rescue those who seek refuge from their enemies. Yes, Lord, protect us from our enemies, whether they be flesh enemies. Uh, Lord, which we know really our enemies are not of flesh, of blood and flesh, but they are of spirits. Lord, protect us from those enemies. Verse 8. Guard me as you would guard your own eyes. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Protect me from wicked people who attack me, from murderous, excuse me, from murderous enemies who surround you. They are without pity. Listen to their boasting. They track me down and surround me, watching for the chance to throw me to the ground. They are like hungry lions eager to tear me apart, like young lions hiding in ambush. Arise, O Lord. Stand against them. Bring them to their knees. Rescue me from the wicked with your sword. By the power of your hand, O Lord, destroy those who look to this world for their reward. But satisfy the hunger of your treasured ones. May their children have plenty, leaving an inheritance for their descendants. Because I am righteous, I will see you. When I awake, I will see you face to face and be satisfied. Yes, Lord, I know I get to see you because I am righteous. But not because of what I have done, but because of what Jesus has done. Thank you for this truth today, Lord, and thank you for our reading God, we praise you, and it is because of you we live today. Amen. Well, that concludes our reading today. As always, we are reading out of the NLT, the New Living Translation. And I hope to see you back here for day number 20 of reading through the Bible together.